Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. With me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Michael Jochin, freelance football writer for the BBC, Guardian, 442, ESPN, among others, and contributor to the Blizzard. Michael, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. My pleasure to be with you here. Today we go back to the quarterfinal of Euro 2008 in Basel that ended Netherlands 1, Russia 3. Michael, why have you chosen this game? Well, it's, it's, it's a very, very unusual game. It, 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 it's, it's, it's ironic in many ways because, it, first of all, it was a Dutch derby between uh, the real Dutch and the pretend Dutch, who were the, <laughs> the, who actually were the better Dutch on the on the evening, but uh, uh, and it's it, it's it's a very special game because uh, it it gives a lot of uh, uh, you know you have to think a lot about what what are those uh, national uh, priorities and uh, uh, what is the. the the Dutch football. What what does it actually mean? Could, can only the Dutch play it, or maybe the Dutch and the Catalans, or maybe uh, the best Dutch football ever uh, was played by uh, Russia of Husidink on that uh, evening in Basel. And also, it it gives a very interesting perspective on uh, uh, how results can be misleading, because the Dutch arrived uh, to that game seemingly. Mm-hmm. as favorites after thrashing Italy and France uh, in their first uh, two games uh, at the Euros. And uh, f- for, if you, for those who have, uh, didn't see those games, on, on paper, they looked like clear favorites to win the tournament. But those who actually watched those games saw a very defensive team uh, with, uh, with actually brilliant performance and they had uh, used almost all of the chances on the counter-attack, but it was a defensive team, a very non-Dutch-like team. And on the other hand, the, the Russians who started with by being thrashed by Spain, uh, they were uh, the, one of the most attractive teams uh, at the tournament. And those who, who, who followed their progress knew that they are actually the real favorites in that game. But the, the, the most ironic thing that after that game, uh, after the Russians won that game, and they, they were confirmed as the real Dutchman of the tournament, well, uh, there were, uh, the, the success got absolutely no continuity, and uh, they disappeared from the very from the from that very game. It all went downhill for them, and it from the very from, from that game, it well all uh, went uphill for the Dutchman. So uh, you, you, it is very. Uh, it might have been easy to predict uh, the result in that specific game, but it you can couldn't uh, base any predictions further further uh, down the uh, down the way uh, from that game forward, and it's 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 a game which is quite ironic in many ways because it's it is remembered as the best. It should have been probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, ed- the end of the, the, the Dutch team and the, the, be- the big, big, big beginning for the Russian team. But in reality, it proved to be the other way around. Yeah, I mean, indeed. In, in, I mean, Russia, 
but you know, what do you remember of you know Euro 2008 going into the tournaments? Russia, they'd failed to qualify for World Cup 2006. They went out in the group stages of the Euros in 2004. I don't think many people would have thought they would reach the semi-final, but they did have well, Gus Hiddink in charge. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there were two signs, and um, I was really fortunate in, in both respects here that uh, I was in Moscow when Russia beat England 2-1 and beat them brilliantly. Uh, you know, England led at half-time, uh, but then the second half, Russia were absolutely sensational. And my, my, my real um, memory of that game, well, f- firstly, I was freezing because Lufthansa had lost my luggage. So my big coat was in my case, and I was swaddled in a kind of couple of sweatshirts I managed to borrow, but I was really, really cold. That's my first memory. But my second is, Russia's two goals came in a, a four-minute spell in the second half. That four minutes felt like about half an hour. There were so many chances in that four minutes, just wave to wave to wave of Russian attack. And you knew England couldn't couldn't withstand it. And when the second goal went in, uh, I remember sort of looking at the stadium clock and thinking, oh, the stadium clock stopped. I can't only have been four minutes since the last goal. I'd, I'd written down about, you know, I had sort of eight chances listed in, in my notebook. So I'd, I'd seen Russia then, so I knew that they were capable of doing something very special. Uh, I'd been very lucky that I'd seen Zenit uh, in a quarterfinal, a semi-final, and then the final of the Europa League. Um, so I, I knew how good Ashavin was. Uh, and so, you know, that's it was the, the basis of this team. Uh, and then because um, Austria-Switzerland uh, was in sort of nice and compact as a tournament, I was able to go to a huge number of games. So I was based in Bern. I went to all three of the Dutch group games, and I managed to get to Innsbruck for the Russian defeat to Spain, their first group game, which was um, they lost four one, but actually that wasn't representative. I think Russia were a bit unlucky to lose that four one. But even better than that, and this is the dream as a journalist, the Spain second group game they beat Sweden in Innsbruck, and in Innsbruck for reasons that I've never been able to fathom, they had the press centre at the stadium, but they had another press centre in the centre of town, which was incredibly luxurious. And in this secondary press centre, you had local farms, local producers giving away free cheese, free sausage, free ham, <laughs> free just meals, incredible wine, an enormous screen so you could watch anything else that was going on. So I remember watching Russia beat Greece, drinking this amazing wine, <laughs> eating this free cheese. And then I think it was that day, I, I, I could have slightly mixed up which days which, but I think it was that day, the famous incident when Hadaway turned up, you know, the, the great Dutch pop star, yeah, yeah. What Is Love, uh, he turns up to, to play you know, a concert in, in, in the press centre. So we're sort of, oh, do you mind just going in the back room where there's some sort of desks? Mm-hmm. So well, can we take the booze with us? Yes, just get out of the way. <laughs> so the, basically everybody you know in the British press was there. Ken Early was there. Bonnie Ronnie was there. Bonnie Ronnie wrote a hilarious piece about this. British and Irish press, Jonathan. British and Irish press, sorry. Uh, yeah, Ken will literally kill me for that. <laughs> um, and we, we go into this back room, drinking this great wine. It's, yeah, it's like 11pm by this point, midnight. Mm-hmm. And Hadaway's just with us. He's, and yeah. he's refusing to play his set. He's just talking to us. And it was a, just one of those great, bizarre <laughs> nights when um, Hadaway is... He, I think he's a, I think he's a qualified doctor. Okay, and he he'd done a partnership with Doctor Alban, who I think yeah. is a 
is a qualified dentist. Don't worry, Michael. We will get back to <laughs> Russia at some point, okay? <laughs> and the Dutchman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and yeah, he was complaining about people who use the doctor uh, uh-huh. handle who aren't real doctors. Right. Uh, when he and Dr. Alban both are real doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he sort of... He was complaining because he'd been coming through... I think he'd been coming through Dusseldorf. I think he'd been on a tour of Russia. This is why it's relevant. He's a Dutchman. He's done a tour of Russia. Mm. Mm. And he's immensely popular still by 2008. Still popular in Russia. And he had a, a series of sort of a stubs of boarding passes with like, really random Russian towns like Perm, Mamansk, Smolensk. And he's been playing to packed houses there. And he's been paid in cash. So mm. he comes back to Dusseldorf with the cash in his pocket. And because obviously he got the metal strip through the notes, it sets off a metal detector. And so he gets stung for a huge amount of tax in Dusseldorf. So he's waving about the tax receipt, complaining that the German tax authorities are taking 10,000 euros off him or whatever. Uh, he was going on about how much he liked Sean Wright Phillips. I remember that quite clearly. Excellent. He was insisting Lampard and Jared could play together. Love and a that. very stern questioning from, from Bonnie Ronnie. And he, yeah, he just ended up getting drunk with us rather than playing a set. And, and presumably, Jonathan, you talked him into being a Sunderland fan. <laughs> and, it was, and it was a case of had away the lads. Uh, um, a little so, forced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you ruined that. A nice story. You spoiled it. Yeah. I think he's German, not Dutch, but there we are. Oh, is he? Yeah. But he's either sure. way, I, I, his nationality is is quite intriguing. But uh, but yes, yeah, so you thought Russia, you expected Russia to do well at this tournament. I, I expected them to do well. I was, I was disappointed by them against Spain. And then the Greece game, but the Sweden game, they won 2 0. I thought they were mm-hmm. exceptional in that game. Uh, Pavlichenko uh, scored midway through the first half. Shavin got one five minutes after half time, but they mm-hmm. could have won that game three, four, five nil. Yeah. I thought that's they were a, brilliant. That, that was that the game. first Shavin game. Of yeah, the yeah Shavin had missed the first. He'd been suspended, hadn't he, the first two games because mm-hmm. he'd been sent off against Andorra. Andorra, yeah. Yes, he was sent off against Andorra, and there was a, 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 a you know it was a debate in Russia of whether he should, should be taken to the tournament or not because Russia always went out in the group stage. They have never progressed before uh, uh, beyond the group stage uh, since the breakup of the Soviet Union. So you are going for three games. He is suspended for two games. Why should why should you take him? Uh, but he didn't obviously never had any doubt about that. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right about the Dutch. I, you know, I'd, I'd seen those the three 0 win against Italy, the four one win against France, and I, I saw that you know I saw everybody else writing these pieces. Not everybody else, but I saw a lot of people writing. These, oh, the Dutch are back. This is Van Basten's rediscovered the, the total footballing heart of the Netherlands. And I'd sort of been saying they're being distinctly underwhelmed by them. And I remember I was, uh, because I was, I think I was still working for the FT at the time. So I was, I was sitting next to Simon Cooper, who obviously is, you know, Anglo Dutch, um, and was working for the FT. And his sort of uh, discomfort with what, what he was watching. And trying to convince himself he was watching the rebirth of total football, but knowing that it wasn't, and accepting, you know, he 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 knew that this was sort of it was a great sort of facade, and it wasn't it wasn't something that wasn't real. Yeah, those were great players, obviously Snyder and Van Nistelrooy and and Robin, uh, but uh, they uh, and they took their chances, they had their chances and took them perfectly. They scored brilliant goals, but other than that, they played very very defensive game, both against Italy and against France, and. Actually, that was the uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, they continued that from the World Cup uh, two years earlier mm. with Van Basten, which was 
a very dire affair as far as the Dutchman was co were concerned. And they went down in the battle uh, against Portugal in the last 16 rounds when they, they had uh, 16 yellow cards and four red cards. And uh, Khalid uh, Boularus went out to uh, hunt uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. It, 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 it was quite amazing how Mark Van Basten, who is, well, obviously a, a, a huge, huge superstar as a player, as an attacker, uh, he was so cautious, so so negative as a coach. And I know, I, I, I spoke to a lot of Dutch uh, journalists at the time, the, uh, and fans also, they were very relieved when in February, uh, four months before the tournament, Van Basten agreed to join Ajax and to leave the national team. Uh, Ajax fans were not very excited about that, but all the other Dutch uh, fans were just very, very, very excited, and they knew that the national team would be better without him. Mm. Michael, talk to us a bit about Gus Hiddink. He was brought in to manage Russia in 2006. What were the expectations of him? Because, I mean, obviously he's he now has, I mean, he's had a great reputation in the game for, for many, many years. Were people hopeful that he could do something with this exciting sort of fairly reasonably young crop of Russian players. Yeah, the, the problem with Russia, basically, since the break uh, up of the Soviet Union, was the mentality. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the desperately negative mentality, they were the, uh, the ultimate losers. They, when they, had, they lost when they had good teams, and they lost when they uh, had bad teams, and they lost when they, they had excellent teams, and they, uh, they, they were always some kind of bust up in the dressing room. And in the 94, they uh, tried to uh, throw uh, uh, out the uh, coach, and 14 players refused to go to the World Cup initially. And uh, in the 96, they had a magnificent team at the Euros, but only got one point, and the internal squabbles was absolutely dreadful. They at, at a certain point, fans expected them to lose no matter what. They, and they suffered from poor luck, from, from, uh, 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 from poor refereeing decisions, from poor management, from injuries, from, uh, and, and they, everybody expected them to lose. Absolutely, everywhere, every time, everywhere, they were expected to lose. They uh, uh, very, uh, didn't qualify for a lot of tournaments. And when they did qualify, uh, well, uh, they uh, just uh, never got th uh, through the group stage. Who's hidden was brought to change the mentality. He was mm -hmm. the first foreign coach uh, in Russian history. He was a magician who, who, who produced magic with South Korea. Uh, in 2002, then magic with Australia, which was even more important in 2006, because as the Australians, they haven't qualified for the World Cup for ages and ages. And he took them there while coaching PSV Eindhoven at the same time, and then took them to the last 16, and they almost be have almost beaten Italy there in the last 16. <laughs> that was the last minute penalty, which, which mm. was quite unlucky. So who's hitting was like some kind of magic to take someone mm -hmm. who, who who could actually have that golden touch so change russian mentality from from one uh, side to another uh, one uh, uh, just to make the complete switch to make cut from all those uh, fa uh, failing russian coaches even though some of them were very good romance was brilliant Shomin was brilliant but 
They never managed to change that mentality. And fans never expected anything from them until Hidden came. When Hidden came, they started to expect something. They started playing with self-confidence. Who's Hidden told them to relax. To, they, they, the players usually came to the national team knowing that they will be slaughtered in the press and by the fans. Hidden told them to, to forget about it, not, not care about that, just mm-hmm. enjoy. And, and they did, and they did. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, changing mentality uh, is not an easy task, even for Hussein. And uh, after, after that uh, brilliant uh, game against England that Jonathan uh, spoke about, uh, they were in the driving seat and they needed just to beat Israel and Andorra to go to, uh, to the Euros ahead of uh, England. And uh, the, after beating uh, England, Konstantin Zeranov, uh, he, he, immediately after the final whistle, he was interviewed and uh, Zeranov was a very, very nice and very underrated midfielder of the team. He said, we just need, uh, we, we, we have to avoid shitting our pants in Israel, <laughs> literally. We yeah. shouldn't shit our pants in Israel. And what happened? They lost. Yeah, they lost in Israel in the last minute, yeah, and, and they were unlucky, weren't they? Because didn't they? Wasn't it a breakaway after they hit the post? Have I remembered that correctly? Yes, but but they they had a very poor game there. They well, had they a dreadfully dreadfully uh, dreadfully poor game in Israel, and they lost it deservedly. And uh, and they did they did they, they, they it was like and and the. Uh, all the headlines in the Russian press were like, "Well, even Hayden can couldn't prevent that." We are not, we, we are, uh, he is a magician. He, they played brilliantly against England, but look, they couldn't do anything in Tel Aviv. What's going on? Yeah. Then, obviously, Steve McLaren put on Steve Carson in that game against uh, Croatia, and thanks to them, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Russia went to the Euros in the first place. You, you're you're welcome. Even, even that Andorra game, it's 1-0, yes. and yes. then Sharvin sent off. They made yes. it hard. Yes. But, I mean, yeah. this, this point you make about mentality, is, it's, mm. it's absolutely... I mean, I remember speaking it's years and years ago, I remember speaking to Yegor Titov. And Yegor Titov, who, who was the captain of Russia for a while in the, what, late 90s? And, and he said that every time he felt the wheels leave the, the runway at, you know, from, from, from Moscow Airport, he said he, he felt slightly sick. He, he hated that, that feeling of leaving Russia. Um, uh, uh, and I remember talking to Akin Feyev and him. So, so, because Akin Feyev has been linked to, he's constantly been linked to Manchester United, he's linked to Aston Villa for a while. And him sort of, sort of saying, well, I just don't like leaving Russia. I, you know, I, wanna, I wanna be in Russia. And I think with Akin Feyev, it might have been partly to do with, with his, you know, his religious faith. Uh, that you know, He talked a lot about need, feeling that he needed to be around Orthodox churches. Uh, but it's that sort of sense of homesickness, that uneasiness when you leave Russia. Mm-hmm. And Zirianov I spoke to, and I remember him saying, shortly after Hiddink had taken over, he suddenly re- suddenly realised he was looking forward to joining up with a national team, which had never been the case before. Yeah, even though they didn't have a lot of success on, on home soil as well. But, uh, uh, and you mentioned that Zenit team, Jonathan, and it was very important because Zenit were coached by Dick Advocat. It was all part of the Dutch revolution that took place in, in 2007, 2008. Hussein in the national team, Dick Advocat at Zenit, uh, who were already sponsored by Gazprom. And um, it, it was, uh, it, it, after, after that 
incredible luck of Croatia beating England and Wembley and letting Russia to qualify for, for the Euros. Then came Zenit and thrashed Bayern Munich 4-0 in the UEFA Cup semifinals with an incredible performance, but not only by Arshavin, but also by Pavel Pogrebniak, uh, who was supposed to be the starting striker at the Euros, but he was injured just ahead of... Uh, and, and that's why Pavluchenko came in. And at, you can look at it whatever way you want, because Pogrebniak could probably have performed even better. We will never know. But Pavluchenko became a major star and then went to uh, Tottenham, while Pogrebniak only, only played for Reading. And um, so uh, it, it, it was, it was, there was, well, the need won that uh, UEFA Cup. Uh, there was a feeling that actually the Dutch Revolution could be working. And there was a sense of optimism ahead of the tournament, like never before, like never before. Interesting. All right, chap. So let's have a, a quick break and then we'll talk about Russia at Euro 2008. We'll see you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Yeah, interesting you saying that there was a bit of expectation because normally expectation, certainly in England, we don't like expectation. We, we don't <laughs> oh, want no. that. Uh, whereas in Russia, there, there was a little bit of expectation. But as you mentioned earlier, they lost their, their first game 4-1. And uh, we talked about the, the, the Dutch winning their three games. I mean, uh, Michael, you said just looking at those results, impressive results, you know, 3-0 to Italy, 4-1 against France, and, and so on and so forth. So when they met in the quarterfinal, as you say, you have the two Dutch managers Surely the expectation in Russia was low. Uh, not really, the, but the expectations in Holland were extremely high, <laughs> yeah, <okay>. outrageously <laughs> high. It, 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 they were, there was euphoria, and that, that, that's part of the thing. It, it, it was like Van Basten was asked by all the journalists uh, in Switzerland, why do players love you so much? even though most of the players didn't like him at all. And Clarence Sedov and uh, Mark Van Bommel refused to go to the tournament because of him. And Ruth Van Nistelrooy also refused to go to the tournament, but was later persuaded to join. Nevertheless, they, they all fell out with him during the World Cup two years previously. So, the, and Van Basten was, uh, was very, very worried about that optimism ahead of the uh, of that uh, of the game he even f there was supposed to be open training sessions with the fans uh, and he he threw the fans away he didn't want fans uh, anywhere near the team there were uh, more than uh, 100,000 dutch fans in in basel that evening and uh, most of them didn't have tickets, but they were prepared to celebrate in the streets. And they, they, well, they we've beaten France, we've beaten Italy. Who are those Russians with who's sitting, who's is going home? And and uh, uh, that was the atmosphere in the Dutch camp. And we should also, do we have time to talk about uh, uh, Khalid Boularus and his uh, tragedy? Yeah, absolutely, because I think that's, that's uh, yeah, yeah, an important yeah. part of it. So uh, as, uh, those preparations and that euphoria in the Dutch camp, well, fans were never affected by it, obviously, and journalists neither, but uh, the, the team was very much affected by the fact that uh, um, a few days before the game, uh, uh, Khalid Boularou's wife had a miscarriage uh, and uh, 
his uh, newborn daughter died immediately, and it it uh, uh, it was a huge tragedy for him personally, obviously. And uh, Van Basten didn't want to; uh, he just wanted to send him home and to grieve with his family. But Belarus said, "No, I want to stay, and I want to play. If you pick me, I will play." And um, well, tragedy aside, Halid Belarus was the. the he uh, he was the, the very symbol of the negative attitude of uh, uh, Marco Van Basten because such a player would come nowhere near uh, a side coach by who's hitting, for example. He is just a very 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 rough defender, like you know an English defender from the 60s who he could uh, easily play for for uh, Leeds United and all that, but he. he, he and how he got number number nine shot at Chelsea, we would never know. <laughs> but he, he, his technical skills were close to zero, and he just went out to 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 uh, to, uh, to kick people, yeah. to kick people, and 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 that's okay. But when you are Leeds United, it's of the seventies. It's not okay when you are. Uh, 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 the Netherlands national team, and uh, uh, well, obviously after his tragedy, nobody could have criticized him anymore. But his very presence in the squad, Ryan Babel, he shouldn't have been there. Ryan Babel was injured uh, right before the tournament, and Marco van Basten uh, called up uh, Khalid Boularus to replace Ryan Babel, who was a winger. He replaced him with the defender, who then went on to play in all the games. And he played uh, defensively; he played very well. So he and he was in the starting lineup, and uh, the Dutchman also uh, chose to uh, uh, play that game with uh, black armbands to uh, uh, to uh, honor uh, in in memory of uh, uh, the deceased daughter of Halid Boularus. And after the game, uh, a lot of uh, Play, players said that uh, didn't say that, uh, but uh, the journalists, uh, that journalist, told uh, talked a lot about it. It was a mistake because it was a, a, like a, a, it sent a wrong message to the to the players. Uh, they, they they didn't have uh, the right energy and the right state of mind. It affected them very very much. Whereas the Russians actually went out to kill them. And for the for most of the game, the Russians were much much better. They were playing offensive football, brilliant offensive football, mm -hmm. and have, they have just slaughtered them. The, it should have been uh, decided in the in the mm -hmm. 90 minutes, and it was an incredible extra time when the Dutch just disappeared. And Halid Boularus had been uh, substituted, but then, but that didn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite remarkable watching this game back, Jonathan, just seeing how one-sided it was for periods of the game and we shouldn't have really gone to extra time. But what, what were your uh, uh, thoughts of the match? And, and what Well, I mean, I, was, I went into it really, really looking forward to it because mm -hmm. I, I was convinced Russia were, were really good mm -hmm. and I wasn't convinced by the Dutch and that wasn't quite the, the narrative that, 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 that had been presented. Uh, and it's one of those games you watch... Well, certainly I watched, and I probably didn't quite appreciate it in the right way at the time because although Russia were clearly on top, my expectation was still 
they're going to mess this up. But, you know, they, they, they'll they go like out luckily. Like always, exactly. That, and it nearly happens. You know, in, in my head, what I was thinking was, yeah, it's going to be a, a tale of Russia dominating and then Van Nistelrooy will, will stick one in with 10 minutes to go and the Dutch will win 1-0 and everyone will forget how good this game has been. Uh, and it's, I was also, you know, when you... I don't want to say I've been advocating for... And I, sorry, the, the problem of Dick Advocate is, is obviously kind of lodged in my head. I didn't mean to make that. When you've been sort of suggesting that, that Russia are going to be really good mm-hmm. and they've shown little signs against uh, Sweden and you know the Dutch have gone there with a you know, brilliant record in the groups and you're sort of saying this could be an absolute classic. And so you, you really want the game to be a classic. Because yeah. journalists like nothing more than being proved right. I like nothing more than being proved right. <laughs> The only thing that matters in football is me being proved right. Mm. And thank goodness, this was a great game. And it really was a great game. And I, was, I so enjoyed watching watching it back. Because uh, it is it's just relentless. Russia mm-hmm. going at them and going at them and going at them. And you know, it's, it's nearly another half time, but Russia have had by far the better mm-hmm. of that first half. And the only Dutch threat is set plays. Yes. Absolutely, and actually that uh, that had been the case. The counterattacks and the set pieces, though there are uh, uh, offensive threats in the, on those games against Italy and France as well. Uh, and uh, at the uh, World Cup uh, uh, two years previously, yeah, uh, the, the Russians were just and look at Khalid Boularus as the right back for the Dutchman, yeah. and then Yuri Zhirkov, uh, whom who's hitting. Uh, he took a winger, actually, attacking midfielder, and just before the tournament, just before the tournament, he told Jirkov that he is going to play left back. That his was idea. It it it, it didn't happen in the qualifiers. It happened just before the tournament, and Jirkov was uh, well. Arshavin obviously was uh, the best player in that game, especially in extra time. But Jirkov was the second best player, uh, very 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 close to Arshavin in that game. Mm. Um, I mean, just to talk about Bula is the yeah. uh, must have been I don't know let's say 2003 something like that uh, I found myself one night one Friday night I found myself in Walvik and uh, went to watch RKC Walvik against PSV mm-hmm. and, and, and I, it was and I saw this this sort of stooped balding winger absolutely devastate this lumbering buffoon of a fullback and of course they were Ian Robin and, and Kali Bularoos and Ian Robin and the only thing I couldn't believe, I think he was 19 at the time. And it, he looked like he was like 35 at the time. So I, I couldn't believe he was as young as, as 19. And then when Boulogne's moved to Chelsea, I just sort of, that can't be the same bloke I saw at, at Wildvike. But it but it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, if, yeah, it's funny when, when you look back on things like that. Um, as you said, Jonathan, it was nil-nil at half time and it seemed surprising that it was but we we didn't have to wait too long for the the game's first goal it was around 55 minutes Pavlichenko volleyed in from close range a nice finish and it's a great cross from Semak as well and Semak was yeah. such a good player I love Semak as a but player you, but you know when a team is is superior to the other when the goal goes in and it felt like yeah this has been coming the way Russia celebrated it was it was it was sort of vindication if you like yeah absolutely um and, and yeah, you saw the 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 courage, the the sort of cavalier cavalier spirit of that side. That you know, Zhirkov huge attacking from left back, and Yukov incredibly attacking from right back. And we'll get on to Anyukov in in about a quarter of an hour mm-hmm. of, of game time, not the podcast. We're not going on that. Much, don't <laughs> worry. 
but the, the, the thing that, that liberated them was was Simak at the back of midfield dropping in between Ignashevich and Kolodin, the two centre-backs. Mm-hmm. And yet there he is bombing down the left to put the cross in, yeah. hitting the space where... where mm-hmm. um, I mean, did Budovic go off just after this or just before? Because he, he, he goes off for Johnny after, Afterwards, afterwards. Just after That's this. Just afterwards. But look, exactly, talking about Simak, he was the holding midfielder who, whom he didn't recall just before the tournament and gave him the captain's armband, which is quite incredible. You know, a newcomer, the returning player who is becoming the captain immediately, but he was the holding midfielder and for the, for the, and he was playing, like you, you're saying, uh, the total football. He is on, the, on one uh, side of the pitch uh, and immediately in the same move, he is on the other side of the pitch. And for the Dutchman, you had uh, Nigel de Jong and Orlando Enhelaar, who were... Well, they were brilliant destroyers, both of them, <laughs> but creators they were not. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. well. There's that, that chance. that chance. The uh, I think it's I think it's from a free kick. It might be a corner in the first half. That's that's uh, it's a Van der Vaart, I think it's a Van der Vaart free kick from the right. It's cleared, mm. and it falls for Engelar on the edge of the box. He's got time, and a you know a proper Dutch midfielder would at least have struck the ball cleanly. And it's this horrible <laughs> drag, yeah. and he had so much time. He sort of. Oh. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Right. He, he, he's a he's a nice player for I mean again for Leeds United in the seventies, but not for the Dutch team. <laughs> no. So can I just distance myself from slagging off Leeds United in the seventies? I, I I think they're they're a great team. <laughs> I think we understand the point Michael yeah. is making though. Uh, but then, then so you talk about Anu. Yeah. So you think one nil up mm. going into the second half of the, of the second yeah the second half of the second half. And then that that chance after seventy minutes, yeah, and that would have been an unbelievable goal mm. that they the the uh, Dutch lose possession just inside the Russian half. This amazing break of of sort of twenty, thirty, forty yard passes, which somehow ends up with Anukov running onto it. So the right back running into the box to to a little sort of mm-hmm. chip ball over the top, and it, he clips it on the half volley, and it's so casual you almost think. He must be offside, but he's not offside, mm-hmm. and he's he's really unlucky because basically two feet in either direction, and there's no way Van der Sar is saving it. But Van der Sar just sort of sticks out a hand and stops it. But if that had gone in, it would have been one of the most incredible goals. And for your right back mm-hmm. with 20 minutes to go, when you're one nil up in a game you're not really fancied to win, apart yeah. from like Cognoscenti, like yeah, yeah, for me, uh. It just you know it shows the the the, the philosophy and the spirit of that. Well, it does, yeah. yeah. And I also forgot to mention in the first half about you know, talk about the philosophy and the spirit. I mean, after about half an hour, Dennis Kolodin, the centre half, gets the ball. He's about forty-five yards out or something like that, and he thinks, "Yeah, I can hit the top corner from here," <laughs> and he smashes one just over. Yeah. And again, I, I I appreciate. I don't want to sort of jump back to the first half, but it goes into the overall point that they seem to have goals or at least goal threats everywhere in this side. Yeah, you should, you should have known Kolodin. Kolodin thinks he uh, thought he could <laughs> score from any distance in any yeah. place anywhere. He had an amazing shot, really. Yeah, and yeah. he, he it, it's a shame that his career was later ruined by knee injuries because he was you know, he, his shots were just uh, Ari Han would have been proud of that <laughs> exactly exactly um it's about eight minutes from time um Jonathan's a nice move I, I'm not pretty sure it was our Sharvan in, involved again it's not capitalized upon the ball is kind of squared and and the Netherlands managed to 
get it away. And really, that I mean, it's as I say, not capitalised on. And that should have probably maybe ended the game. But it just yeah. showed you how superior Russia were as they came forward in in their droves, and and the Netherlands were hanging on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the shot count was, but it must have been three, four times as many mm-hmm. for Russia as as for the Netherlands. And then, yeah, you, you, just when you think yeah. they've done it, they go back and they're, they're the old Russia. And it just it's so soft, the goal, 86 minutes. Schneider free kick from the left. Yeah. And nobody picks up Van Nistelrooy. Yeah. Just leave Van Nistelrooy, he'll be okay. Yeah, heads it in, 1 <laughs> 1. And yeah, I sort of, I mean, I don't know what Russians felt, but. I, I mean, obviously, I felt gutted because I had to rewrite my report. That's 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 the main thing. But I also just felt, you know, this is not fair. This is just not the way it's meant to be. Russia have been so good here to lose it on something like that. And and and, but my assumption was, they won't win an extra time. Was yes. That your, was that your assumption too, Michael? I mean, because they'd been so much better. But as you say, due to the history and that Dude, yes. negative feeling coming back in, you have the great player Van Nistelrooy. Scoring again in the tournament, you think, ah, oh, this is the same old. Yeah, that it was. It's just like uh, after slaughtering England, they, you, you get a last uh, a minute defeat in Israel. <laughs> uh, the very same thing, and uh, obviously, I think uh, that um, uh, Russian players thought uh, at that very moment, that's it, that's over. We 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 have, pl- have been playing so well, and it's. Only one one. We have wasted so many chances, and now this soft goal. And and uh, I th- uh, the last few minutes of the normal time, uh, you you could sense that Russia felt doomed. And then Kolodin made an absolutely stupid foul in injury time, absolutely useless foul to get a second yellow card and get sent off. And it was just like Russia getting sent. To, now they had to play extra time with ten men, with without their uh, very important defender, and it it felt like that's it. They are finished. But then it turned out that the the ball went out. The linesman called the referee, uh, Lubos Michel, and uh, he, uh, linesman told him that the ball went out of play before the foul, and then the yellow card and subsequently the red card were. And nullified, and and Kolodin stayed on the pitch, and wow! At that very moment, you could see the Russians. Well, luck is with us after all. <laughs> he was not sent off. He hasn't been sent off. Wow! We are going to win this. And well, the extra time after, I think that that Kolodin red card that was that wasn't a red card. That was the turning point of the whole game. From from the uh, from the men- mentally, uh, that that was the trick. Somehow uh, after that, I think also you know the uh, the final whistle and who's hitting gets to talk to them, and I I'm absolutely certain that who's told them well look, luck is on your side. Mm. You have you have just committed a useless foul. Yeah, you have always lost this game. You are still in it. Go and play. They are tired. They are very, very tired. They and you are fresh. You are fr- you, your mind is fresh, and the, the the extra time from Russians was much, much better than the first ninety minutes. Because if they in the first ninety minutes they were much better than the Dutch, 
in the extra time, they were infinitely better. They were oh. just like playing. It's last. It's like Brazil playing Luxembourg, clearly. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, yeah, it seemed like. It's funny because that goal goes in, and as Michael said, you know the negative feeling comes back in. But yet you watch extra time, and it's like Russia were pleased that they got another thirty minutes to yeah. play against them. Yeah, but I, th- I think Michael's absolutely right. I mean, certainly my feeling because mm. when have you ever seen that? I mean, okay, in now in the VAR time, sure, it can happen. I'd never seen that before. No. Red card being retracted, and and you know, I remember it took a little while in the press box to work out what was going on. That, well, yeah, I, I thought, did you see the red coat? I saw the red coat. Yeah, he's still there. What's... And then so the linesman must have flagged. Um, and so that that just it changed immediately. It just changed the whole. It just yeah, the game was was going down one way, and it sort of wrenched back and shoved on a different course. And that last half hour, Russia absolutely sensational. I mean, yeah. Pavlichenko hits the bar. Yeah. And and then even then you start to think because you know it gets gets to half time. It gets to five minutes after half time and extra time. And you're thinking, like, when are they going to get this? When yeah. are they going to score this goal they so clearly deserve? And what was really striking for me was obviously I was sitting with the British press. And most of them, I'm not saying they, they wanted the Dutch to win, but their assumption was the Dutch would win. And it made their lives easier if the Dutch won mm-hmm. because so many of the Dutch players speak English. And so, and also, you know, they're known to, a, to an English audience. So if you're, if you're writing for an English newspaper, mm-hmm. It's easier if, if the people you're writing about are people your audience know about. And the mood changed in the press box that they clearly wanted Russia to win by half time and extra time. That the 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 way Russia were playing had had seduced them, had won them over. And and uh, I would I would fully agree with Michael that the best player was a Sharvin. I thought Zhirkov was brilliant, I thought Anukov was brilliant, I thought Semek was brilliant. But the player that seemed to impress everybody else was Pavlichenko. And I, I think maybe I'd seen enough of Pavlchenko before to know that he's not, he's not actually all that. Mm. And and I still sort of was sad that Pogrebniak wasn't there. Um, and actually, I remember in in Manchester when um, when Zenit won the 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 UEFA Cup as yeah. was then. I remember Pogrebniak sort of because it was that day he got injured, wasn't it? It was the UEFA Cup final when he got the yes. injury. Yeah, and he he limps through, kind of cradling the trophy, limps through the mix zone. And sort of, I think he knew then he was out that he wasn't going to play in the Euros, and and sort of, so I I sort of still felt this great sadness for Pogrebniak, and I wasn't convinced at all by Pavlichenko, but he was excellent in this game, and then finally eight minutes to go, Ashavin, who's just, you know, mm. Ashavin, it's like Ashavin's on Duracell and everybody else is on whatever the yeah. batteries they're up against Duracell <laughs> in the advert, tears down the left, chips over Van der Zaar. And it's sort of from from the angle of the press box, you think it's going in. Is it, as it turns out, it was actually going to just drift wide. And Torbinski runs in a substitute and bundles it over line from from a couple of feet. Yeah. And as soon as that goes in, you know there's no way they're just coming back from this. They're, well, they're, they're dead on their feet. And finally, Ashavin, someone is uh, is there to to put away one of the chances he's created. Yeah. Because he'd created quite a few, and very fittingly. And and again, the celebrations are wild. You know, they think right, that's surely it now. Surely, you know, we'll win it. But of course, you want that two-goal cushion. And um, five minutes later, Arshavin gets his goal. And I'm guessing, Michael, that that was one of the most satisfying moments in recent years of being a, a, a Russia fan when he scored that goal because that put everything. Um, to, you know, there was no doubt left. Russia had won the game, and their best player on the day, Arshavin, had got the goal. 
Yes, of course. I, I'm not a Russia fan, but actually, but but oh, I, <laughs> but uh, I I, I no, the, the feeling of Russian fans was absolutely yeah yeah yeah. It was the greatest uh, greatest night of Arshavin mm. of his career by far, and the, the extra time was the, the, that was that was the best thirty minutes of his career, and the, that was the, the most uh, the best night for Russian fans. Uh, well, since uh, the 80s, and it, it was just incredible. It, 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 it was such a rewarding feeling that, you know, the, the, the Russia, Russian fans really understood that night that they can't uh, just be afraid of everything and they, they, they can be positive, they can play brilliant f- football against the top Side the very top sides uh, in the world, they can beat anyone. They can uh, can uh, they should play offensively. They have the talent. They have the mentality. Well, that was only for one night. That, uh, that, that <laughs> all, all, uh, they are still. They, it's it's been uh, 13 years uh, since since that uh, evening in Basel, and they are still looking for that feeling. They have never found it again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what a feeling it was, though, Jonathan. But I think yeah, and I think they're a little bit unlucky that they run into Spain again in the semi-final. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, Spain were clearly the. I mean, maybe we didn't quite appreciate it then, but certainly by two thousand and ten, it was obvious Spain were the best side in the world. And not every tournament has a great side, and I think in two thousand and four, this Russia side could easily have won it, but Spain were just that level above. Um, but that that third goal as well, there was the fact that Ashavan just sticks it through Bandazar's legs. Yeah. The sort of the cheek of it, the impishness of it, it sort of encapsulated everything he'd been about that night. The 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 joy, the the mischief. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was just the I mean I I'd I'd say this is one of the one of my most enjoyable days in journalism covering this game. Yeah. And and for that alone, Jonathan, we thank Ryan. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Michael, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you about uh, about this game. And I think, yeah, I mean, you, I think you summed it up earlier, didn't you, that when you said it was perhaps the end of, of the good times, well, for Russia and not in, maybe until the it was It was the beginning and the end at the very same evening. Exactly, yeah, exactly. The Netherlands would go to the World Cup final two years later and uh, it would take Russia hosting the World Cup to kind of give them a bit more cheer again. But still, what a moment in time it was. Um, so so, so thank you. And uh, for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. But thank you for coming on the pod, Michael. Pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, Jonathan and I will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. We'll see you then. <laughs>